My name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, we spoke with Edward and Mary Silva, co-owners of Mazmascal. Here's what Betsy Bober-Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. Located on a two-way street in Manhattan, Maz Mescal has been thriving on 86th Street for four decades. They have survived so much, including the recent construction of the 2nd Avenue subway, which they address in our podcast. In addition to being an excellent Mexican restaurant, they have become a part of the community, the neighborhood. They live right across the street and have made many, many friends over the years. A matter of fact, they have watched literally generation after generation and now into the third generation visit and eat in their restaurant. But what stood out the most for us was their love story. My name is Edward Silva. This is my wife, Maria. Mary Silva, otherwise known as Maria. Stage name is Maria, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but her real name is Mary Catherine Silva. And uh, we're both uh, co-owners of uh, Maz Mescal Mexican Restaurant on 86th Street. This year we'll be celebrating our 30th year at this location. And we've actually been on 86th Street now for 46, 47 years. That's 47 amazing. years. 47 yeah. years. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's almost a lifetime. And uh, the good news, we still enjoy it. After 47 years, we still like what we do. And uh, it's a type of business you really have to love to be in. Can you tell me about the business? What is your focus here at Maz Mezcal? We are uh, very much of a family-orientated type of business. Mm -hmm. We don't do any advertising, per se. Uh, Everything is word of mouth. We have two and three generations of families coming in here. Uh, That's what we thrive on. Uh, We like to have everybody feel at home when they arrive here at Maz Mezcal. One of us is always here. So there's always somebody who's going to take care of whatever problem. We don't have many problems here, fortunately. It's very seldom that we have complaints, so we're very fortunate. But probably that has a lot to do with the fact that one of us is always here. And how did you two meet? I'm going to get to how you decided to open the restaurant, but I'd love to know how you met. We met in Indiana in, I think, 1968. I think in 1968. My sister and I were cruising the streets of Indianapolis in her uh, Volkswagen, and we noticed a car with two cute young guys following us. And we lost them at some point, <laughs> and we doubled back. I don't remember And that. they'd run out of gas in the uh, park, and they were soldiers from the Fort, um, Fort Harrison, right? They were in the 101st Airborne, and they were um, cruising the streets of Indianapolis also. But he remembers it differently, so he can tell right, you. Let's hear the other version. <laughs> well, I don't know about what, yeah, we, we didn't know the town at all, so uh, this fellow had just gotten his car, had been brought up to by, by his dad, uh, so we we're getting to know the city. So back then, I think we were making something like $60 a month. That was our salary. And so you used to go to the gas uh, gasoline st- uh, gas station and buy a dollar or two dollars worth of gas. And unfortunately, we ran out of gas. So uh, you know, we popped the, the the hood, and it's hopefully somebody from the port or somebody will you know it's a stop for us. And fortunately, it was the young lady and her sister who stopped by and was terrible enough yeah. to get us some gas. Yeah, and they gave us twenty dollars, which in those days was like. We'd seen very few $20 bills in my family. <laughs> so um, 
we went and got him gas, and we exchanged phone numbers, and the rest is kind of history. Except the next night we met, and uh, my I got in the car with uh, Ed, and my sister took the other uh, soldier, and we were supposed to meet at a drive-in hamburger place. And we got separated and lost, and my sister went home and told my parents that Mary went out with the soldier from the fort, and I don't know where she is. Oh, no. <laughs> And uh, so Ed very kindly walked me to my door, and my father didn't pull the trigger on the shotgun. And uh, my mom invited him the next day when he called to apologize. My mother invited him for dinner. So we uh, saw each other on and off for two weeks, and then he was shipped off to Vietnam for the uh, 13 months, I think, right? That was a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half. And uh, we wrote, and he came home and saw me. I graduated high school, and the next day we got married. And I moved wow. to New York. Did you plan to get married while while you were in Vietnam, Ed? Nah, was that the plan? No. no. <laughs> that was a, no. Uh, probably the last thing I was thinking about back yeah. then. I, yeah. No, I didn't have time. We to. were both extremely young, and uh, I I knew I was in love, but he was off in Vietnam. I, I would imagine that marriage was uh, a little bit far behind. I hope I get home. Mm-hmm. That, that would be the, right? Well, that's one of the considerations. Mm-hmm. When you're in the combat, it's a, it's a day-to-day issue. It's not uh, you don't have long-range projections. You hope that not you can make plans, like but you don't. So. Well, am I going to get married in two years? I said, no. Mm-hmm. You just hope you get home. So. And what made you move to New York once you did get home? I, I my parents lived in New York. I was born in New York. Okay. And uh, but I grew up in Maslan, in Mexico, and uh, my parents were very it was difficult for them to raise me here and it was they didn't make much money and so they shipped me off to my grandmother who at the time uh, had a restaurant down in Mexico and uh, one of my aunts actually uh, with the help of my grandmother uh, helped raise me until I was about eight or nine and then I got shipped back to New York mm-hmm. were your parents still here uh, my parents always stayed here the, yeah yeah my my father had uh, had gone off to uh, World War II, but he's a very young man. He joined the Army in Texas, and after joining, they sent him to his training base was in Texas. They separated him from the Army in Texas, and but he didn't care for Texas too much. I mean, for California. And so he decided, to, let me go to New York. By then, he had met my wife. They had gotten married, and they both moved to New Your York. Your mom, not the wife. <laughs> his wife. Yeah, his, his wife. wife. His wife, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, and... Um, and the rest is, uh, I was born here at uh-huh. the St. Vincent's Hospital down on 17th Street. I uh, was here for about six months, and then they shipped me off to uh, to Maslan. And so I grew up with my grandmother, and I guess the that, that, that first uh, inkling or uh, curiosity of, uh, of the restaurant business... Uh, uh, was started by her. Mm-hmm. You came back at first or second grade, no? I came back to to the second grade, yeah. 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 Here, to New yeah. York? I started not, not, a, not speaking a word of English, and <laughs> so it was interesting. Okay. Took me, I'm, I'm glad that Facebook and uh, all that wasn't around yet, because I can't, <laughs> who knows if I would ever learn to speak English. And did your parents have restaurants here as well, like your no, grandmother? No, my dad, my dad, when he got here to New York, uh, got, it was... Uh, got into the restaurant business. He was a waiter. Mm-hmm. Eventually became a bartender, and he's very happy at that uh, at, at that job. And uh, but my mother was so, being that her mother and grandmother had had a restaurant in my son, 
had that desire to have a restaurant or thought that my dad could do it. And so they opened up a small little place on First Avenue and uh, 51st Street, four or five tables, and they did very well for themselves. They were they did good. But uh, I guess he got the bug that he could do something better and bigger. So when I got back from the Army, he, uh, he kind of said, you know, wanted me to get into the business with I didn't want to do that. I did not want to go into the restaurant business. I grew up in it, you know, seeing him work and how hard he used to work and never had days off, basically, that of any consequence. He always had to work Christmases and New Year's and Thanksgiving. So I wasn't too keen on getting into that type of a business. But... Uh, being the loving son that I thought I was, I, I, he convinced me, and that was it. The rest is uh, 45 years later, here I am. And has it been worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful business. But I, you know, be, having been born basically into it, I think it was easy for me, easier what has to be done and how you deal with people. Came became second nature. I think it's, it's difficult when you, you know, uh, just walk into it all of a sudden, you don't understand. You, it's very hard to take that sometimes the, the rejections or because everybody's a critic. Everybody comes into a restaurant, everybody knows how to cook, everybody knows what good food tastes like. So it's difficult sometimes, you know, uh, to to be able to deal with that. And some people just can't. I think my, my, my daughter is one of those type of people. She cannot take rejection or uh, comments. And so that's why she doesn't want to have to, anything to do with the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And so, But we love it. My wife is, uh, I guess, through my... Uh, Association, uh, she's picked up, and uh, she's actually much much better at it now than I am because she loves people. I'm not that yeah. keen on people. I uh, yeah. I like the the work end of it. I like to deal with the employees, and I can deal with everything that goes wrong here. Recipes, new new menus. Not that good on people. She recognizes everybody. She can tell somebody walks in. 30, 40 years later, and she know, oh, I haven't seen you in 30 years. How you How's your daughter? <laughs> I, I don't recognize people. Maria, did you jump into it with Ed right away? or uh, When we got married, um, his dad had opened up a restaurant called El Sombrero, and I started working there, but I started actually working in the kitchen. And I learned uh, his dad uh, very kindly taught me how to cook. Uh, it's a, a rough way to learn. But I, I want to say that I'm probably the luckiest person that you'll ever meet because and when I was growing up I had never eaten in a restaurant so I met the love of my life on a city street in a park in Indianapolis he came home from the war and he married me he brought me to New York a place I'd never dreamt that I'd wanted to be and brought me into the restaurant business that I knew absolutely nothing about and I love it and I'm very good at it. So it was all through the grace of God and sheer luck that I'm here where I am today. And after, what, 47 years, 48 years, I'm still doing what I love best. But nothing I had ever dreamt of. So how many people can say that? I learned how to cook. I learned how to bartend. I learned how to waitress. I learned how not to cry when a customer insulted me, you know, because I was stupid. I was a a country hick. I didn't even know how to wear shoes right. I didn't know how to do this right. The customers used to laugh at me because I didn't speak Spanish. And one of those families was in last night that used to laugh at me when I was 18 years old and not speak Spanish. Now, those kids have their grandkids were here last night the Patino family, they, they were here. And we were all laughing about it, you know, how uh, their their dad was uh, 
This would be the, the grandfather. Yeah, the grandfather, yeah, Mr. Patino. He would uh, not order from me until I learned the word. And so, now, how's and your now, Spanish? Uh, my Spanish is very good. Very good. <laughs> well, as you see, she doesn't miss many meals. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> when did you start learning Spanish, Maria? Uh, when we got married, I came to New York, and we lived with uh, Ed's parents. And um, he's an only child and very, very, very loved. And I was one of five and also very loved. But somehow, in his mom's mind particularly, I stole her son. So she didn't welcome me as much as some people might have wished. Uh, she allowed me to live there, and she wouldn't speak English to me. She did speak English, but... Uh, not to she, you. She would not, and she wouldn't let me watch English TV. And I'm very grateful for that, because the other side of that story is I learned a lot. I learned a lot watching the telenovelas. La muchacha italiana que vino a casarse, and what was the other one? La muñeca, and that time. Mm. I don't know if you know anything about telenovelas, but they're they're very uh, intense. Yes. So they'll pull you in. They, they pulled <laughs> well, me in. Well, it's equivalent of as day turns or all these just so yeah. the same thing. Mexico. I think all over the world. I think that. So that problem. that's uh, the way I learned. Uh, I started learning Spanish was watching telenovelas and uh, talking or not talking to his mom and. Um, but she told you from day one, you will learn how to speak Spanish. Yeah. That, that, that and then a, a friend of hers, yeah, a friend learn. of hers, Guillermo, helped a lot and told me, stop trying to talk Spanish because I couldn't get it down right. And then she would get angry. He said, stop trying to speak, try and think. And it's very true. Once you think it through, it comes, starts coming automatically. I generally dream in Spanish. I can't do the crosswords as well because when I, I see the word, I, I'm translating it mentally into Spanish. So it, it's, uh, it's been an, a lifetime experience that probably no school could have given me. I'm very, very grateful. Very grateful. I would love to hear more about how you keep people coming back to the restaurant, like the Patinos. Uh, we know their names. We know their likes and dislikes. Uh, they know our names. They know our likes and dislikes. It's like being part of a family. So you listen to what they want. You make it for them. Uh, they don't like it exactly that way and try it this way, and all of a sudden it, it's fun, and they feel like they're part of a family. Why do you keep going back to your family on Thanksgiving? Is there any, or I mean, um, I hope you do. I but do. But there, there's something in that house, even if you've moved out, that draws you back. Yeah. It's the smile of the man and the woman that answers the door. It's the really big smile of the smaller children being the waitresses and waiters and the busboys and watching them grow up. So people who have been coming to our restaurant for over 40 years know that the waitress tonight is that waiter's daughter. And do you remember when he was even younger than you were and he took care of you? They're part of our family. So that they know our names, they know our, our I'm problems. I'm going to interrupt you for a second, so just so you can get a little... Uh, we only have... We've been, what, 40-some-odd uh, years here. We only have two families that work here. And there's 40 oh. employees, over 40 employees. And so they're all interrelated. And so not only is the restaurant run as a family... But that's the impression people get, you know, that this is a family-run restaurant and that you're going to be treated as a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you can't 
you can't uh, fabricate that. You know, you yeah. just can't make it. You make it up. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's a huge thing, especially here in New York, where families are not as appreciated as they are in other places. But a, a huge portion of our customers come from places where families are appreciated. Mm-hmm. So this is their home away from home. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting an immense amount of people that have moved away because they had kids, they couldn't afford the private schools, they didn't want the public schools, so they moved out to Connecticut, Long Island, Virginia, somewhere, and they come back and, oh my God, Eduardo, you're still here. Thank God, something hasn't changed. There's something in New York that didn't change, and we're part of it. Do you feel that it's been hard to keep your customer base stable as people move out of the city and you know move on or new people move into the city oh sure because the diet the, the eating habits of people change yeah. people are looking more for now uh, vegetarian dishes uh, vegan dishes something that we didn't even know what that was basically we knew well you don't want meat okay but we've had to learn you know we're, we're putting out dishes that are more uh, in tune to things with quinoa mm-hmm. with sweet potatoes with black beans and for Mexican food, that's just what I mean. We do, we do black beans, but everything right. but else. But it has is, meat, and it uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It has to have chicken, meat, be uh, you know something that. But has you to, do have vegan uh, options we, we now. We have started, we yeah, uh-huh. yeah, we do, yeah. So well, you you have to learn to change. You have to they say roll with the punches and know who who's out there and who's eating and yeah. who's spending money. And do you feel with the new demographic that your method of word of mouth advertising is, well, is still it, working? Well, it, it's not the fastest way yeah. to acquire business or to keep it in the, you know, yeah. uh, in, in the in the block. But for us, is what we, we like to do. Uh, we, I guess uh, truth in advertising, I guess if you have no advertising, you better be truthful. Yeah. We've, we've dipped our toes into the social media aspect, you know, like Facebook and uh, Yelp, but it's uh, a little off-putting to us that anybody can write anything they want on the uh, on the different sites, and it becomes, that's what it was. So it's a little off-putting, and I've tried paying some of my younger uh, employees that love the Facebook to keep it up, and they even get discouraged with it. So it's we're back to word of mouth right now, mm-hmm. and it's working. You know, last night we had an hour and a half wait, and people waited. So... It, it's incredible. something working. Yeah. yeah. That's not every night, but... Uh, For a Friday night, that's yeah, good. That's, that's pretty good. So with an hour and a half wait, that's a lot of people because you have a lot of tables in this that's space. Right. Could mm-hmm. you describe the space for me that we're sitting in? We have three dining rooms. We have... Uh, this is called... The room we're sitting in right now is the quote-unquote family room where uh, smaller children... We try and keep all all together in one room. And this is the best room because it's very far away from the kitchen and the steps. The main dining room, I don't know, what would you call it? It's the main dining room. It's, our, it's our larger dining room. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, a big chandelier It has as a well. big chandelier. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I was going to interrupt and say, my husband is an absolute genius. He has done all of the decorating in here, almost every single thing down to the last tile, the last candle holder is from Mexico. He's gone to Mexico. He's found it. He's found a way to get it shipped back here. And he's found a way to incorporate it into the restaurant. And like the chandelier of stars over there, he bought that. 
We measured the space. It was custom made per his orders. It came in like 20 boxes with no directions on how to put it together. It was laid out in the backyard as a jigsaw puzzle for months, trying to figure out this tube goes to this tube, that tube what goes to that tube. What happened was when I bought it, it was actually bigger than it is now, but I couldn't get it shipped in one piece to New York. I couldn't get a shipper to bring it up. So basically, I cut it down. I cut all the arms off and then put it in one big box and shipped it to New York. And then I had one of my guys here. I said, you know what? Just cut them down like eight, ten inches uh, and then solder everything back together. And then we'll hang it up and it fits and perfectly. It, it's, uh, it's stunning. It's stunning. And the different paintings uh, he's found around in the bar that we now call it the Kalaka Bar, which is the skeleton bar, because over the years he's collected these different paintings of the skeletons from the Day of the Dead way before the Coco movie was made. Well, uh, <laughs> and the I'll watermelon jump in here by saying feelings. it's my favorite, my, my wife's favorite day of the year is basically Halloween. She dresses up as a witch. And she's been doing it now for over 30 years. So we kind of rode with it a little bit, and uh, we made the bar. It's basically, the, and it's all basic with the galakas, which are the skeletons. That's what it is in there. That's why it went. And the we enjoy on it. the ceiling remind the kids all year round that this is Halloween heaven. <laughs> and do you do anything for Halloween? Oh, oh. it's uh, for us, it's a week. It's a week celebration. Have you seen it, Betsy? I'm sorry. The, uh, <laughs> it's floor-to-ceiling uh, cobwebs. It's a month. We start decorating the first week in October. We're finished decorating usually by the 10th or 11th of October. It's bugs and cobwebs and bats and moving things. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we do a children's Halloween party that we've been doing for about 30 years. And the uh, first group is always from the Candlelighters and Ronald McDonald kids come and fill up the whole space with their families and then what we call our kids come with their families and everyone's dressed up and we make eyeballs too. All, all kinds of things for the kids and then Halloween night is more for the uh, grown-ups mm -hmm. and the whole staff is dressed and uh, it's, it's stunning mm -hmm. Yeah, we do a lot. And speaking of the Kalakas, do you do anything for Day of the Dead? Well, it runs through. Hey, the, we just run just straight, straight on through. Straight on through. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Eddie actually had some aprons uh, custom made for the last two years. We've been wearing Day of the Dead the aprons that he brought back from Mexico. You know the little touches that you just don't see the things mm -hmm. here. The, the sconces, the tin lamps. Yeah, they're the, beautiful. The the newest addition, I guess, would be the bingo cards. Or is that what they're called? What are they called? Those Loteria. Are? The Loteria cards that are hanging up at the entrance on the high thing. It's the most popular game in Mexico, and he's found ceramic tiles that yeah. represent that game. And, and people come in, oh, Loteria, la Loteria. <laughs> Where do you find the objects? I uh, travel all through Mexico when I go down, and uh, we'll... Uh, uh, go to Guadalajara, Tonalá, Tlaquepaque. Mexico City is a great area where, you know, the surrounding cities around Mexico City have a lot of handiworks that, that are done. And so it's just, just traveling. You know, you get to see something. Uh, and for me, it's, uh, I enjoy traveling in Mexico. I enjoy seeing where uh, all our food uh, recipes come from. Sometimes I'll go down there, I'll go to... Uh, Heat something, then I'll come back and work on the recipe here. We have several of our dishes are through the travels through Mexico that I find that is just so good, you know, and uh, I enjoy it. 
And where do you source your ingredients from? Uh, well, uh, most of them come through one of our purveyors, is a fellow that we've known for 40 years, for 40 some odd years, uh, who does most of our Mexican products, but uh, everything's fresh, everything, uh, you know, it's, uh, tortillas are made in Queens, uh, uh, the food, everything that we have is fresh. Is, uh, we don't use Medicaid now. Uh, we don't have a microwave as most restaurants just put it in the microwave and uh, everything's <laughs> done every day here. Yeah, we start to cook basically at 8, 8.30, 9 in the morning every day. People see us, well, you only open at 5 o'clock in the, in the evening. Yeah, but there's somebody here cooking seven, eight hours ago. You know, yeah. that, that's how we do it. Can you talk about the menu? Well, when we first opened up, Mexican food was not really known in the Northeast. It's you know, they, they heard about tacos and something like that, but that's basically all there was. So we've gone from basic tacos and chips and guacamole to to basically items like a a uh, pork rib and a black mole with uh, mezcal poured on top of it. You know, th- th- that's the extreme. And people right now, one of our biggest sellers are mole dishes, which is basically a recipe of about eight or nine different chilies, uh, bittersweet chocolate, uh, some fruit in it to give it a little bit of sweetness, uh, nuts. Very complicated uh, recipes, but but you have people now who really enjoy it. And so for us, it's much it's easier to cook now because this is really Mexican food, you know. It's now that enjoyable. awareness is up about it, people well, know absolutely. a little bit well, more. Well, absolutely. Well, you know, our options as to what yeah. we can cook is so much more open. Uh-huh. You know, it's uh, it's it's intriguing. You know, to just to do, you know, tortillas. We love tortillas. You know, it's it's a staple. It's what we that's where we're all, most of the people know. But to cook things with sauces and trim and fishes for us it's much much more interesting and the cooks love it mm-hmm. you know it's uh, they, they they can't wait to because we'll do specials on certain days there's certain days that we do other dishes and uh, we're changing the menu we try to change and add, uh, add additional dishes that are selling very well the specials and we'll put it on the menu uh, it's uh, and we listen to treat. our customers yeah we listen to our customers. We've had uh, several dishes named after customers because they were the ones that came and said, can't you do this? Can you try and do this? And we work on it, we work on it, and then it uh, becomes a dish and you get your name on the menu. <laughs> do you mind if I ask how you funded opening this restaurant? I uh, had some some savings. Uh, when we closed the other restaurant, my dad retired, and I had some savings, and so we're able to do it, except that the, it, it is a, that's a funny story, actually. <laughs> we I had anticipated uh, myself, and I got two of my kitchen help. I said, we'll tear the restaurant down. It shouldn't take more than a month, and I think I can build it in maybe 90 days. Okay, that was a good idea. Uh, six or seven months later, I had exhausted the money that I had allocated to open up, and I can't get the landlord to approve the kitchen work. There was a beam in there that the city finally approved, but the landlord's engineer wouldn't approve. So I, I, I set up a meeting with the landlord, and we're sitting in the office, and I said, and they're saying, well, you can't open up, and you don't have this, and I said, you're absolutely right. Reached into my pocket, got the keys. Here are the keys. Thank you very much for letting me be here for seven months, but I'm gone. No, no, we don't want you to live. I said, well, why can't you approve the plans then? I don't understand. The city approved them. The engineers in the city, but why can't you? 
the next day we got the approval and we finally opened up. But basically paying rent for close to almost eight months, yeah. I was out of money. Mm-hmm. And we were living on coupons. We were the people <laughs> that were the people that were helping us paint and build and everything. We had a, a staff that came with us from the old place of about eight of them stayed yeah. with us. Every day I would cook something that I bought the food with with coupons at the, the least ex- there was no Costco, there was no yeah. uh, anything. I'd get all the coupons and make a big uh, lasagna or something, lots of pasta, bring it down here, everybody would eat it. It was uh, we didn't know that we'd ever make it. And the night we opened up, the bar did not have the tiles on it because they hadn't arrived in time and we, we had we, to we open. Put, we so we stapled tablecloths <laughs> up to, onto the top of the bar. It was probably two or three weeks later. And there was not a day, probably for about five or six years, that in the early part of the day, we were still painting, we were still fixing, we were still tiling. Then Nettie uh, bought the copper sinks the custom-made copper, copper sinks that had to be approved by the city. It was uh, the ones in the bathroom. The ones yeah. in the bathroom. Those are so, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Those so are handmade, it, it's hand uh, engraved and everything. Worth a visit. Yeah, yeah. for anyone it's, who it's, comes. Uh, but all of that has been done after we opened. Yeah, and we still we we had a new carpet installed over Christmas. The day when we closed one day for Christmas, and the new carpet was installed, and we opened up and didn't lose a day of business. We can't afford to, so you just keep doing it in the daytime. Mm-hmm. It's a, and you use the money that you make. What have been some of the biggest challenges about running Maz Mezcal? Biggest challenge is probably uh, New York City. New York City and uh, the we, we, restaurant business uh, seems to be not backed by anybody. And by that I mean... We basically are individual entities for the most part. And so we're basically left to deal on our own. If the city decides that we want to charge you now because you a tax on an air conditioner, well, let's do that. Uh, well, uh, you have seats that are made out of wood. Well, let's charge you for that tax. And so it's a li- every, every six months we're looking at a new tax, a new Change in law, a new uh, permit fee, a new, permit fee a new for something. Uh, way to get a I violation, mean, a, a new inspection. Uh, it's a it's a it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I I went to one meeting years ago, over twenty years ago, and said I never thought of myself as a criminal until I owned a restaurant in New York City, and I automatically became a criminal in the eyes of the the city of New York. Because you must be cheating somebody. You must be doing this wrong. You have to be doing that wrong. Let us check that you put your right foot before your left foot. And it it sounds extreme, but that's the way it feels quite frequently. And it's a challenge that uh, you just want to go home and cry sometimes. It's, It's very sad. But then on the other hand, you have representatives of the community that will help you out. Mm-hmm. We, we uh, years ago came and uh, we were able to rezone our section of 86th Street to allow sidewalk cafes. It was a four-year, extremely expensive, expensive project. But we got it done. But we were able to do it with the love and help of the community. That's the only way it got done. There were the community board eight, the representatives at that time, 
the people, we, we had to have 100 signatures. We had over 300 people go to the community board meeting wow. in person. Wow. Yeah, it was quite, uh, it was very awesome. Quite an undertaking, yeah. but uh, fortunately uh, we got it done. The rezoning of, of our block from 2nd Avenue to 1st Avenue, the south side of 86th Street. Can was, I interrupt you just yes, for one second? Course. We're on a cross street. The city of New York had determined a while ago that no, no street, no cross street, which is basically 86, 96, 34th, 42nd, mm -hmm. 59th Street, uh, should have a sidewalk cafe. This has been in the books for as long as we can remember. And so there, are, there were, at that time, no restaurants on a cross street. So through the effort of my wife and, and the insistence, that there's no reason why, because these are very wide sidewalks. I mean, a guy can understand that when it's an eight-foot sidewalk, but these are like 12, 14 feet wide, so there was no reason. Uh, that's, that's the ruling. That's why it became such a, and you just couldn't do it. And so we basically changed the law in New York City to allow sidewalks to be, and we were first... Is it on all cross streets now? No. No. No, it's not Still. even on all of 86th Street. It's on 86th Street, south side of the street, between the west side of 1st Avenue and the east side of 2nd Avenue. And it can't, you can't have a sidewalk cafe where there's a bus stop, of course. You can't have if there's big planters. You can't have if it's this. But there's a small section here, and the people who back this went and said, we trust the Silva family. We trust Ma's Mescal. They wouldn't be uh, pushing this if it wasn't a good thing. And so it's, uh, when, when we got it, that there were four buildings to our west that came out further than our building did. Those buildings now have been torn down. So that was also a big help, right? Somewhat, but uh, it was, it's, it, it, it was just, there, there was no reason why yeah. you couldn't. And now any cross street can have it, but you, you're going to have to you have to go the and, time and get and it zoned. And get it zoned properly. Mm -hmm. But I think we opened up the door for people, for other restaurants to be able yeah. to do that. That's amazing. And has it helped business? Oh, oh. It's, it's, it's 24 extra seats outside. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's yeah. a, a 24, and it costs. You know, we yeah. do pay every single year. We pay extra uh, fee to the Department of Consumer Affairs. So it's not rent, but it is a huge uh, amount of money. Well, it's but a money well maker for it. the city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. they charge you per table per person. So it's like a rent, basically. Mm -hmm. We look yeah. at it as a rent that you're paying for that space, and we have no problem for it. I mean, it's, it's only fair. Yeah. yeah, you're using it, so but you're, you have to maintain. You're using the yeah. sidewalk, and it's a, it's a huge help, mm -hmm. and it's also very free advertising because as you walk by, you see the food that the people are eating, you see the chips and the right. hot sauce, you see the colors, you smell the aroma. So, oh, let's go in there and eat. Let's try that. Nothing better than walking by in July with 90 degree weather, and you see a couple of people uh, sitting by the Sour Cafe having a margarita, a frozen margarita. There's nothing it's the better. the best advertising no, you can get, yeah. Can't be <laughs> yeah. Can't be so it, it's, uh, it's well worth it. And it was uh, very, very nice of the people that went and supported us. Because all it would take would be like two people to say, no, we don't want this, we don't want this. And nobody did. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I still have all those signatures somewhere. It was thousands and of signatures. Just as a little more of a background, my wife's been very instrumental and very active in, in, in the community. We support almost every school in this area, giving uh, auctions, uh, dinners. 
We do uh, schools that come in, will come in on a day with 30, 40 students and have lunch here. We basically, we don't, it's just basically the food price so that they can see what is the, the menu to read it, to have the food. I mean, she's been very active. Uh, in the community itself, being at community board meetings when other issues were involved, nothing to do with us, but with issues of getting improvements. These, uh, as you see, the street lights, they're, they're the antique. She's very instrumental in getting these done, trying to beautify 86th Street for the people, for the community. You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes there's obstacles. There are, there are building owners that don't want it you know, get involved. And I think she's gotten a lot of businesses involved, a lot of buildings involved because she's gone and knocked on doors. Said, listen, this is for you too. It's not just for for us. It's for everybody in the community who lives on, on the Upper East Side and on 86th Street. And Maria, why do you want to be so involved? You know, you it's didn't grow up I here. Grew up. It's the way I grew up though. In Indiana, you were part of your neighborhood. This is a neighborhood. The neighborhood accepted us. The neighborhood is who we live off of. The neighbors are who comes here. The children are going to be here five years from now. And Um, eventually our customers. Yeah, and (laughs) very much so our customers. We go down to the park every year for the community outreach from the police department. Our precinct has their outreach down in the park. There's a band that's been going. There's us. There's four or five places that every year go. It's the biggest party in this neighborhood, I think. I think it's great. But uh, we give out free food for four hours. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. And why would you not want to be part of where you live? I, don't, I mean, I think that's a totally fair point. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's just the way it is. And you need to give back. That's how yeah. you get is that you give back. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I, I feel, again, I'm the luckiest person alive, so anything I can do to bring some of that love and wonder to somebody else, I would be more than willing to. Uh, they say that sleep uh, therapy doesn't work. You see, I, I, every night I will, as she's asleep, <laughs> tell her, you are so lucky. You are so lucky. And it works. It works. No question about it. But I, I do, I love this neighborhood. We've lived here since, the, uh, well, we lived down on... Uh, Columbia Street when we first got married. But the restaurant that I started in was here on 86th Street, 239, East 86th. So that's where my life started. And uh, I Just I a segue here to uh, how much we love the neighborhood. We were living, this is going back 30 years ago, we are living on 2nd Avenue, and we decided, well, you know, I think it's time for us to get a bigger place. So we moved down to 77th in York. We were there for like two and a half, three years. We can never get used to it. A year and a half, I very think. Nice. We lasted. It was out of the neighborhood. A very nice uh, building and very very big view of the river. There was a supermarket on the first floor, a uh, cleaner. I mean, it really outstanding. Can never get used to the neighborhood. Mm. Just did not like the neighborhood. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's just cold. You know, Couldn't get back here fast enough. No. So here we are back again. And then we're... Directly across the street, our apartment overlooks the restaurant. We watch everything that's going on. It's uh, we have breakfast out and watch the street movement. This and that. It's uh, it's it's awesome. How is that for your work life balance? There, there is no life that's not work. Really, <laughs> everything, even uh, the trips to Mexico and everything, it's all related to work. But that's okay because we love it. So you 
have been here for a long time. Can you talk about how you've seen the city change and what it's been like to adjust to all those fluctuations in the city? Well, when we opened up here on 86th Street, uh, it was basically known as Germantown. All German restaurants. We were located at 239 East 86th Street. And we're situated between First and Second Avenue. I mean, sorry, Second and Third yeah. Avenue. Yeah. And uh, there probably were between bars and restaurants at least twenty on that one street, and we're the only one that wasn't German. And so it was a process of being able to be integrated into the neighborhood, uh, the people that came here, uh, that lived in the area. Uh, so it was difficult in the beginning, uh, but uh, I guess. Uh, we became, uh, you know, no matter what, we were going to stay here. We weren't going anywhere. And people, I guess, they admired it. And, uh, and, uh, but changes, absolutely. It was mostly brownstones. Um, as I said, most of the people that in this neighborhood were all German. And uh, we now it's where it used to be more residential, people who were here for 30, 40 50 years, you don't see that that much. So we've had to change a little bit in, in our aspect as who for the first 35 years who we're dealing with were a lot, were more families, people that we've known for a long time. And it became more transient in the last 10 years. People gravitate to the Upper East Side, but they're only here for a short time between they decide on where they're going to live for the rest of their lives. So we, we've adjusted to that. We, we understand it. But that's just part of the business. You have to know who your customer base is. Mm-hmm. Just a short story on Steuben Day, which is usually the second Saturday in the month of September. This tree basically was full of parades. Bands. Dancing bands that came from different sections of Germany. Between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, the whole street was closed down, and they put up a, uh, a, a stage where these people would come in. Uh, they, and it's So to, for today, you just don't see that anymore. Yeah. It's much more of just a business street than anything else. So this is something you have to get used to, you know. So on the topic of the fluctuations in the city, I know that you were here during the Second Avenue subway um, remodeling, I guess. What's the uh, building. Building, was, the building? Building, the building. There was yeah. no Second Avenue yeah, the subway. Yeah, the building of the Second Avenue it. subway. Yeah. It, it almost <laughs> did us in. Yeah, and and it did do in many of the businesses it, here. Something like sixty percent is what they've come up with. How yeah. did you survive? What well, uh, we basically we had a very healthy P, uh, what do you call it pension plan, and basically Our 401k. got down. We basically can you explain what a pension plan is? Pension plan is a, a program that was devised by the government that gets you to save money. There's a very liberal uh, tax exemption, but to help the business and the employees, you're able to save money at the, from your profits, but you have to include the uh, the employees. There's a certain percentage that says, say it's $100. You can keep 60%, but 40% of that profit has to be going into pension plans for them that they can, they can access when they retire. And so we had done, we were, I mean, we are business already for what, 20 years, 20 some odd years. So we had done very well. So we had a very, very good pension plan. And unfortunately, you know, those four years, we basically were in the red for four years. Mm-hmm. And fifth year, we just didn't know. And then finally, we're done. And the, dis- this, the difference from that day is like somebody turned the lights on again. And uh, we're almost almost back to where we were four or five years ago as far as business. But to get back to the subway, there was blasting, there was dirt, there was noise, there was flooding, there was loss of uh, telephone lines, cable lines. You'd uh, just There was no parking. 
There was no parking. There were no delivery zones. So to get a delivery, they had to come from about two blocks away. And while they were walking that distance, they got a ticket. So every single delivery got an additional charge. Would, would charge you an additional ten fifteen dollars. Right? Yeah, you have just, twenty deliveries a week. That's another just charge. To make and a, just, a just, to, just open up every day. There was nowhere to put bikes. There was nowhere to put anything. It was just uh, it was an awful mess, mm-hmm. and you never knew day to day what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And let me let yeah, me yeah. throw in. I am so happy that the subway is there. I, I think love it helps the subway. <laughs> we really do. We love the subway. It's so much more than what they promised us. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. and we, so we get a lot, of, a lot of comments it's from a, people that use it. Yeah, they love it. So what's yeah. not to like? So, but it was a except tough it four was years. Tough making it through and to make it through while they were doing. Yeah, yeah. very difficult. It was but a it's, long, a, it's a great, great avenue for people. A lot of people. A lot of our customers can go. They'll come have dinner, take the the queue, and they're in Times Square seeing a play. A show it's, in it's a, 20 minutes? Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's stunning. I had jury duty, and I got on the queue right outside my house, got outside the train, walked two blocks, and I was at jury duty. I mean, how nice is that? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was really, really nice. I have so, a neighbor so that goes to Macy's every day because she can get on the train yeah, right no, in front of a, the house. Uh-huh. Off the train, it's amazing. So but the only thing negative about it is that it unfortunately doesn't go all the way downtown. But hopefully at some point they'll mm. get on it. But uh, it was a great addition to the area. It really is. Mm-hmm. So I am wondering where you see the restaurant going in the next years. Well, I think that uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think my wife feels the same way. We love it. Uh, I don't know that we, we're not really people that, we, well, we'll stay home and knit. And maybe she might enjoy that uh, or read books. I'm not really that kind. Yeah, I, I have to do something. I, my, my biggest thrill today is, is doing something different. There's always something for me to do here as far as either electrical or plumbing or something. So I have to be active. I just can't stay in there. I just read and, nah, can't do it. So I don't see us going anywhere for a long time. I, you know, as long as we're both alive. And I think that once we're gone, I think that those. There's several of the fellows here who would love to continue mm-hmm. continue on with the business. So I don't. I want to be that old lady sitting at the front door, saying, "Hi, how are you? Come on in." That sounds like somebody <laughs> that, from the Wicked. Yeah, no, it, it would. Uh, <laughs> I I would uh, I would love to be here until the day I die. I can't think of anything else I'd like to do. I'm very tired. I need a vacation, but I want to come back and work here. This is where it's a, this is all I want. I have everything I want. I have everything I want. What advice might you have for somebody who either wants to open a restaurant or any other kind of, you know, startup business in the city? Uh, I don't know about other startup business. I can tell you about the restaurant business. Yeah. I, I would recommend that it's a little more complicated than just being able to cook has a lot more to do. I mean, you may be a fabulous home cook, you know, and you cook, uh, you know, for your family. It might be six, eight portions. And it's not so much the portions involved, but the amount of other work that it has to be involved with it. I mean, you have to be in public relations. You have to be in employee relations. You have to now know the laws that are very complicated for employee, how you treat employees, how you deal with a uh, employee with a customer who may have said something wrong. 
I mean, it's very, very complicated. You, mm-hmm. It's not 40 years, 50 years ago. Basically, I think the first restaurant that opened with my dad, I think we opened up with uh, $18,000. I did the restaurant myself. I tore it down. I rebuilt it. I don't think you could do it for a million dollars today. So that's how much it's grown and how, how much more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. So you have to really be prepared. It's not just, well, I can cook or I can make a really good drink. Okay. But it's a little more complicated. And I think that, uh, yeah, before it was easy. Is there anything else that you want to share? I think we'd like to thank you so much for taking the time, uh, considering us uh, to come in and be uh, know and uh, learn a little bit about Mazum Scal. And and I I think it's uh, it's a family. It's a family that we have here. And I think that's one of the reasons why we still love it and would hate to have to give it up at any time because of old age or because one of us passes away. But we love the family atmosphere that we have going here. It's it's incomparable, really. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie Cody, and this has been Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc, and of course, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at NY Sideways.